It's entitled, what's it entitled? Emotional service. So you would think, wow, that's what it's all about, right? So this should be the longest chapter in Bhagavad Gita, right? <laughs> but it's the shortest, isn't it? It's 20 verses. So uh, what's going on with Krishna anyway? Uh, we'll get to that. I'll explain why it's so short. Uh, so we're going to analyze uh, what is the, the nature of this Krishna. I mean, we're talking about devotional service, performing loving devotional service to not only something, but someone. So other than me doing that just for my own benefit, I mean, we can understand that it's pious for me to think that, and, and it's common, most religions in the world, they do stuff to get stuff, you know, or to avoid bad stuff. So if I, if I do this, I get something good. Like I can perform some pious activity and I'll get some righteous reaction. You know, something good will come to me. And, uh, uh, and that could be anything from uh, being treated nicely by other people. Because I'm, I'm a good person. So I'm showing God I'm a good person. And I do some pious activity. So I get treated nicely, you know. Or I might get some monetary return, you know. Or maybe God will feed me. You know, if I ask him for daily bread, then surely he'll give it to me. So uh, I have a vested interest in having some pious arrangement with the Supreme Entity. Now that is pious, you see. But it's not on the level of bhakti yoga. It's not on the level of, uh, you're not going to turn on anything cold, are you? Did you want it cold or hot? Oh, I could do warm. Warm? Yeah, I'm still okay. getting over whatever this is. Okay. I know it's hot outside. You guys probably think I'm crazy walking in here with a jacket, but it's like 80 degrees outside and I'm okay. cold. So right. I still have this, <coughs> whatever. <coughs> so pardon me if I have to cough and wheeze a little bit. Although that Chinese medicine did work. It, I mean, it, it's helped. Yeah, I recommend it. You might want to try turmeric milk also. Turmeric milk? Yeah. Turmeric milk is is excellent. Yeah. And uh, ginger tea, I've been putting ginger tea. So anyway, I'm bombarding. And I'm staying in the house. I'm not going outside, which means I'm not walking. I'm not doing my exercise, you know. It's tough to get old. I don't recommend it to any of my friends. So, yeah, so uh, this chapter, Krishna is going to talk about devotional service. So this takes us to a different relationship level. A different level of relationship rather than, hey, God, you got it all. Share it with me. 
you know, or protect me from going to a bad place. You know, don't keep me out of hell, uh, get me in heaven, because I hear it's really great. And uh, not only do I want to go there where it's really great, but surround me with all of my relatives, the ones that I like anyway, you know. So you can see how religious life is pretty much all about what I want from God. And I'm willing to be a good boy and follow as much as, as closely as I can, whatever commandments or whatever rigors that I have, whatever hoops I have to jump through to keep him uh, raining his mercy on me in the form of gratification. Now that, as I said, is pious. I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that's bad or criticizing, but loving devotional service or bhakti yoga is uh, a giant level, actually a very giant level beyond that. Because it's getting to the point uh, when you enter into uh, bhakti yoga that I'm starting to become very attracted to you, Krishna. So once I get to that point that I am attracted to you personally, now all of these other things that I could get from you, I'm not really seeing those so much anymore. You see what I mean? Because I've caught sight of you. In the midst of me performing my pious activity, to get something good, <laughs> Nobody knows who, who's calling. <laughs> you know, if you were a car and you had a personality, you could you could just go beep beep beep, and as soon as you saw somebody coming, you'd stop. <laughs> Which car was it? <laughs> and all the other other cars would be what? <laughs> Humans are so dumb. <laughs> So, as I become attracted to you, personally, well, maybe not you, <laughs> probably you, you. <laughs> no, you, you. <laughs> then I, 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 I'm attracted to you. Our personalities start to align. And, I, and when, when this is the supreme personality, a supreme attraction develops which means I'm being swept off my feet. I'm, I'm being knocked over. You, you are wowing me, you see, because I got close enough to, to develop some personal realization of that personality of yours through my pious activities. I got close enough and I got a whiff of your personality. And so, wow, you see? So, you know, the question comes, I always like to ask people, how long does it take you to fall in love? Mm. It can happen in a heartbeat, can't it? Well, you could be looking at, one, at a person one minute and thinking favorably of them, and in the next minute you can feel this, wow, 
It just happened. I just fell in love. Wow, I just, why? Because I got a real good picture, uh, not just of your physical covering, something about you. I just realized you're this kind of person. Or I, I simply love this about you. You see? So now you've captured my heart, my mind. So from that, especially if you're dealing with the Supreme, you keep on, this love keeps on burning. You see? There's no end to it. And it takes away everything else. Everything else, you don't even notice it, you see. In the beginning, you see there is God over there, and just look at the wealth that this guy has. He owns everything. He owns mountains. He owns planets of gold and diamonds, you know? I mean, he's got incredible, unlimited servants dressed in the best cloth. You see, this guy has really got it. And that's as you're approaching. We know that in our consciousness. God is rich. I mean, he's like the richest of the rich. He's even richer than Jeff Brazos's wife. <laughs> 80 million or something? Billion? Yeah, you know. Something so, uh, but as I said, as we approach him, so you get a whiff of that personality of his, then all of a sudden, we don't notice all this stuff around him. We don't notice, you know, his planets of gold, universes of gold. And you see, we just see him as wonderful Krishna. You're so wonderful. You're so beautiful. And uh, I love everything about you because you're the supreme person, you're supremely perfect in your ability to share love. So therefore, there are no flaws. And other, you know, so typically in a material relationship, uh, you have to overlook a flaw or two, you know. So maybe they're small, you know, but you have to. But with Krishna, no, it's just everything is sweet and wonderful. And the more you learn about him, it becomes sweeter and more wonderful because he's ever increasing. You see, once he, he gets you locked on, he catches your, your uh, gaze. So now he's going to manipulate that, you know. So now we're going to be close lovers for eternity. And I'm going to give you a ride that you'll never forget because you're with me. I'm Krishna. You see, I'm the source of pleasure. I'm the source of love. I'm the source of security. I'm the source of everything that <coughs> you could possibly ever want. So you've come to the right guy. And by me giving you this wonderful uh, association, this is going to delight me. You see, it's not like Krishna saying, I'll, I'll be good to you. We'll share some love, you know, because... I'm God, and I'm benevolent, so I'll, I'll throw you some crumbs. No, he delights in this. 
He took, this is like nectar to him to have this loving relationship with you, to give you this feeling of oh, being so loved, you see. That's, that really, uh, that drives him. So evidence is in the, uh, the 12th chapter, you see. So now one thing, it, it, it's funny, Krishna is such a, to put it mildly, He's such a transcendental rascal, you know. He, <laughs> he's just that. So, I mean, just listen to. I'm going to read through this. It's a short chapter, so I'm going to go through every verse and stop me with questions or discussion at any time. So, uh, because, and I'm going to go through every verse because they're all sweet. And as you see how this advances, where is he going? What is he doing here? And, and he's not only talking to Arjuna, he's talking to all of us. This conversation between Krishna and Arjuna is for all living entities forever. You know, so Arjuna starts out in the first verse, he asks this question that a lot of people who get some spiritual realization, but there are some people who don't get much. And so they don't know to ask the question, but some people get some advancement in spiritual realization and they become aware of the impersonal and the personal aspects of, the, of God. These are people that are, that are starting, to, starting to mature in spiritual life. They realize that God isn't just light or God isn't just this. Well, you have different aspects. So Arjuna is there. And so he asked, Arjuna inquired, which are considered to be more perfect? Those who are always engaged in your devotional service or those who worship the impersonal Brahman, the unmanifest? Man, who's going to hit Krishna right in the face with him? Why don't you tell me which is better? As long as I've got audience with you, you know, and I know you're the source of both the impersonal Brahman and loving devotional. So I know. So you tell me. So what does Krishna do? Um, he kind of wades into it, doesn't he? He doesn't jump right in. He doesn't pound his fist and say, it's absolutely this. No, Krishna says, Supreme Personality of God has said, those who fix their minds on me, um, on, on my personal form, and are always engaged in worshiping me with great and transcendental faith are considered by me to, by me to be most perfect. But then he goes on. This shows what a rascal he can be. <laughs> But those who fully worship the unmanifest, that which is beyond the perception of the senses, the all-pervading, inconceivable, unchanging, fixed, and unmovable, the impersonal conception of the absolute truth by controlling the various senses and being equally disposed to everyone, such persons engaged in the welfare of all at last achieve me. So wait a minute now, wait. 
<laughs> so, why is he doing that? Is he trying to get Arjuna's attention? You know, well, wait a minute. You're telling me I can, I can hang a left or I can hang a right. And I'll still get there. You know? So, uh, but then Krishna makes it clear. See? For those who want to stop right there, who aren't that sincere and aren't looking <coughs> for a loving personal relationship with Krishna, there's their out right there. You see? God said it right there that I can do my impersonal thing and ultimately I will get it. So that's where I'm going. You see? I want your rich, your, your riches. I want your I want you to bless me with pious this and pious that, and I'm going to ultimately merge, you know, into you, maybe even become you. And you said it's okay, right there in Bhagavad Gita. So Krishna's feeling is, if that's enough, then off you go. If you've heard enough to make your decision, okay, off you go. So then he goes on. Uh, in the fifth verse, Krishna says, for those whose minds are attached to the unmanifest, impersonal feature of the, of the Supreme, advancement is very troublesome. You know, are we on a roller coaster here? It's like, in case you didn't leave from my previous statement, if you're still here and still paying attention, let me clarify. Uh, Advancement is very troublesome. To make progress in that discipline is always difficult for those who are embodied. So he's coming back and saying, whereas you can achieve me ultimately. I mean, that means when he says ultimately, I mean, it takes a long time. If you get liberation into the uh, Ram Jyoti, to the impersonal Brahman, it takes you a long time to realize what am I doing here? I'm not getting any loving, yeah. you know? Gee whiz, this is nice. I feel very peaceful. I realized my sat, uh, eternity aspect. Uh, and cheat, I, 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 now I realize the knowledge, mm. but where's my bliss, you see? So then at, the, at that time, the living entity, what does he have to do if he wants to go further and achieve his, his Ananda feature? Just to come back. Just to come back right here. Mm. Wherever you left, you turn around and you go back. And of course, it's more of a pious birth than you've had before. You see, how do we know that all of us haven't been to the Brahmachoti. You see, there's something, something has to explain how someone, uh, when we realize the value of this Krishna consciousness, something has to explain how we are here hearing this and how we are so close to having Krishna in our arms. We're so much closer than you could ever imagine. You know, it's very, very close, you see. By, by getting as far as everyone here is, 
you're extremely close to embracing Krishna eternally. We all know that once you get him, you're not going to let him go, right? So, uh, so what do we? So we are yogis that have done well, who knows whatever, or it could be that uh, the devotees of Krishna through Krishna has shown his mercy through his devotees. Maybe you've done nothing. Maybe you've just been low class and you just happened to catch the rays of the mercy of the devotees. We don't know. Maybe you were a great yogi. Maybe you had fantastic achievements. Maybe you were just at the right place at the right time. Maybe Krishna just took a shine to We don't know. We don't care. Because <laughs> we're here. You see. Any discussion or or questions so far? <coughs> so the advancement in the personal feature, like where we are, is better than very advancement in the Brahmachoti path because I've seen a lot of people talking about how they meditate and they could see their past life and also if they are to the point that they can achieve to that stage, are we better than them? Well, Krishna's being very non-committal here, isn't he? He does say that if you're worshiping his personal feature that he considers you to be more perfect. So we could take that with a grain of salt. So God thinks I'm more perfect than the guy that's trying to merge into the Brahmjyoti. Well, when you analyze that, that's quite a statement. I mean, in other words, the Supreme, the one who sets the rules, you know, the standard of all standards, says, in my opinion, if you're practicing bhakti yoga, you are more perfect. Well, now that really says it all. Even though he says, you can still achieve me, but he did say you were more perfect. That's his opinion. So people who can meditate, realize previous lives, you know, I mean, what would you do if you could remember uh, the day you were born? You know, what if you could remember that moment, the first time you saw your mother? Oh, isn't that sweet? Now, what would that give you? What if you had to work real, real hard and meditate for hours and years to get to that point? <laughs> so, if I, if, if the beginning of this life isn't worth the work, then certainly, where was I last lifetime? You know, I mean, like, say you were, you, you can meditate, you find out you were a prince. And you had wealth and girlfriends, but it's gone. You see, time has taken it away. So uh, it may be fun. It may be fun to explore that. But does it take you to, uh, 
getting a glance of this all-beautiful creature, Krishna, you see, which will captivate you and give you all pleasure. It's like, uh, like he, Krishna gives us the option to experience that. He never takes the option yeah, he gives away. A, he gives us, and he knows, <clears throat> of course, he knows in the end that you're never going to feel fulfilled by that, but he right. still... But he still won't tell so you. Can realize it. So you he can doesn't realize say to Arjuna, well, that's dumb. Yeah. Who would want to do that? <laughs> you know? I mean, I could see Krishna saying that. And I would say, you know, that's, yeah, that makes sense. But he doesn't. He leaves it open. Hey, are you interested in that? I'll tell you how. And he says, this is my opinion. <laughs> this, is, this is my opinion. This is my opinion. You know? <laughs> And depending on how, where, what level you, uh, what, how much importance you place on Krishna's opinion, you will react according to that. Mm-hmm. If you think, well, that's just his opinion. What does he know? Everybody's entitled oh, to an opinion, right? Who does he know? <laughs> of course, he'd say that. I mean, he wants me to come back to Godhead and do menial service, you know, scrub his floors, wash his car, do his laundry. So of course he would say that. You see what I mean? This is the material, this is the the contamination of the material energy that I haven't let go of yet. So I can't think clearly about this all attractive entity. I can't think clearly. And I get, I keep getting attracted by different things. Like maybe I can go merge into the, the nirvanic stage or into the Brahmjoti. And maybe I can, and maybe I can, and maybe I'll achieve. And you see, I'll be all I can be and even more. You see, we get attracted away. You see that Krishna doesn't take that away. He doesn't say, only an idiot, only a spiritual idiot would do that. He leaves that there so it can attract you. Because he wants you to pursue him. It gives him great pleasure when you pursue him. Then he sees, oh, you are sincere. Wow, so I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to take away all of the uh, obstacles that other people would have if they're pursuing me for my wealth. You know, there are obstacles. Uh, if you want to merge with my energy, it says it's really difficult because I have obstacles there. But you say you want to come and, and be my loving associate. Well, I'll take away all obstacles. As a matter of fact, I'll come and get you and carry you personally. You see? And talk about doors opening. Why the whole stratosphere opens if you start to want Krishna. I want you, Krishna. My dear Krishna, take away these obstacles. Please, please take them away. I don't want to see them. I just want to pursue you. Don't. Please don't let me be uh, tempted by Maya's allurement or anything non-Krishna. 
Now, sometimes people think, well, you guys are a little fanatic because it's all, it's Krishna this and Krishna that and Krishna here and Krishna there. Well, how do you feel about such and such, some problem in the world? Well, uh, what you've described, that's very bad and very terrible. However, getting back to the subject, I'm pursuing Krishna. If I get Krishna, I'll be able to help all kinds of people or animals or the environment. So am I for the environment? Am I in a campaign to improve the environment? No. But if I get people to become devotees, they'll stop uh, contaminating the environment. You see? So does that make any sense? So, but, but all of these uh, <coughs> pious activities are there uh, as obstacles to see if, if, you know, you can be, you can take your, your eye off the, uh, off the target. You see, for, for us in our condition situation, it's kind of difficult for us to focus on loving Krishna. It's very difficult. We've been distracted for billions of lifetimes. So it's very difficult to stop being distracted. It's very difficult for us to focus on Krishna. And the reason why, because we don't know enough about it. Does that make any sense? My gosh, if we knew enough about him, what is it that tips the scale? You start gaining knowledge of Krishna, you know, you get attracted and then bang, all of a sudden, it tipped the scale. Now I'm attached to Krishna. Attached in such a way, I just fell hopelessly in love. I can't get him out of my mind. You see, you get into that stage. And the rest of the material energy can be over there, you know, on the sidelines going, hey, look at me. Let's go save the environment. You know, you're like, Krishna. <laughs> and none of this is even happening. Krishna is not the wealthiest. He's just that wonderful, beautiful Krishna. You don't see the wealth. You don't see, what about the troubles in the world? What world? Oh, those troubles? We can fix those. Not a problem. Chant Hare Krishna. First step, chant Hare Krishna. Do that for a while, and then we'll see what happens to the problems. You see? Chant Hare Krishna, because I need you to get closer uh, and closer to Krishna. You see? Once you get a taste of that nectar, then you want everyone to have it. You see? This is part of Krishna's plan. So... Um, so this is a sweet. I love this verse here. Uh, verse six and seven are put together. <coughs> now, uh, we're going to see Krishna change again. It's like, okay, if you're still here, for those who are following my conversation, if you're still here, that means I can turn the heat up a little bit you know, on this devotional service thing. 
Krishna says, now he's just told people that to make progress in that discipline is very difficult. Okay. Then he says, but, <laughs> you see how he's, you know, but those who worship me, giving up all their activities unto me and being devoted to me without deviation, engaged in devotional service and always meditating upon me, having fixed their minds upon me, O son of Prita, for them, I am the swift deliverer from the ocean of birth and death. Like I said, if once, once you get your heart right, you, you're convinced that you want me, I will deliver you. You don't have to meditate. You know, you don't have to do all of these austerities. I'll do it for you. I will deliver you. But listen to how, how he's saying this. That, uh, I, I gave this, this was my uh, Sunday feast lecture verse this past. <coughs> Krishna says that word me five times in like one sentence. Five me's and an I. So now he, who's he talking about here? He's saying, but those who worship me, not the impersonal Brahman, not uh, Ganesh, not Lord Shiva, me. If you worship me, giving up all their activities unto me, being devoted to me without deviation, engaged in devotional service and always meditating on me, having fixed their minds upon me, he's repeating himself always meditating on me and having fixed your mind on me? Krishna, I get it. Okay? I mean, he's, he's kind of like you expect him to say at the end of this verse, do I make myself clear? <laughs> so now we're seeing him uh, put on a different face, right? So, so if you're interested, and if you really want to get close, Here's what I want from you. Basically, what he's saying here is, I want all of you. I want all of you. I want all of your thoughts. I want all of your actions. I want you to meditate on me, fix your mind on me. What's the difference? Fix your mind on me, meditate. But he repeats it. So he's kind of laying it out like, hey, since you asked, this is what I would like from you. I want it all. So, so now Krishna has shown himself, hasn't he? I want all of you. I want you to think of me always. I don't want you to think about anything else but me. I want you to love me so much. I want you to be so much in love with me that you can't possibly think about anything else. That's what I want. Because you know what? That's how I feel about you. I'm trying to get you, your level of love to get close to equaling mine for you. Is that possible? Um, gosh, I would think no. But how, how do we know? Krishna has empowered us. Is it possible for us to give pleasure to the source of pleasure? Well, we're empowered to do just that. So, 
Wow, you know, that's, that's a deep question. See, these are things that we need to ponder. Is it possible that I can equal your love? Is it possible? Now, I got a feeling that at least we can get very close. You know, why? Because that's what he wants to taste. You see? Because ultimately, God is the complete whole. He doesn't need us. God is the complete whole. He's complete in ecstasy. Ecstasy comes from him. You know, where there's a water, uh, a spring coming out of the earth, it doesn't need a drink of water. Mm -hmm. it has, it's complete. Mm -hmm. So Krishna is totally complete. But to enhance that completeness, we exist. You see, because when it comes to love, it's much better if you not only have it, but you share it when it starts to reciprocate. So therefore, <coughs> we exist. So that's our special function. That's what we bring to the table. So has he empowered us to love him on the same level? or even exceed, wow, let's go there and find out. These are good things to, to think about. We do know that we can, uh, we can own him. If we, he, he has empowered us to love him enough that we can capture his heart. It's not just him capturing our heart. We capture his heart, you see? It says in, uh, nectar of devotion that if you want your love for Krishna is perfect it is as if you have purchased him he like belongs to you you can you can uh, in, in the mature stage of loving devotional service you can own him he will become yours because of your love so attached and so um he gets so much pleasure from your love. So you are, you as a living entity, are empowered to love him that much. Will it equal his love for you? You know, I don't know. Let's, let's go find out. So, the eighth verse. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't copy down the whole verse. I just took... <laughs> Three statements Krishna makes out of it. Fix your mind on me. Engage all your intelligence in me. Live in me always, without a doubt. So he's kind of, he's not letting that, that go, is he? No. He's coming back and repeating. He's making himself very clear. Fix your mind on me. Engage all of your intelligence in me. Live in me always. Without a doubt. 12.9. Okay, now we're going to change face again. Krishna's starting to think, wow, I've dumped a lot on you, haven't I? I mean, I've just asked for everything, your every thought, your every action, you know, everything. I've asked for everything. Whew. Maybe I better back it down a little bit, you know. 
if you cannot fix your mind on me without deviation, then follow the regulative principles of bhakti yoga. In this way, you develop a desire to attain me. So he's backed up. I gave you both barrels. So now let me back up a little bit. If you can't do that, then I'll settle for this. You know? Uh, because then you'll develop a desire to attain me. If you cannot practice the regulations of bhakti yoga, then just try to work for me. Because by working for me, you will come to the perfect stage. So now he's backtracking it. He's stepping it down. Just work for me. Can you do a little work for me? You know, maybe sweep the parking lot. You know, do I do it for me? Work for me. I don't need your help. I'm perfect and complete without you. But I'll give you something that you can do for me. Exactly. If you're uh, a doctor, yeah. you'd be a doctor for Krishna. If you're a lawyer, you'd be a lawyer for Krishna. If you're an automobile mechanic, if you're an accountant, if you're a Supreme Court judge, be Krishna's judge. So think of yourself, you in your head. It's between you, this side of your brain, and this side of your brain. Why do I perform the activities that I perform? The average guy, to get ahead in life, uh, to get some money to buy a nice house, find a mate, get a good car, you know, retire comfortably, blah, blah, blah. Why am I doing it? Um, I'm doing it to please Krishna. So that means you, people who do like that, they're the very best at what they do because this is their offering to God. You see? It sounds too simple. This is Krishna's mercy. Just work. Just consider yourself doing what it is that you do for me. Man, that's that's pretty easy, you know. <coughs> um, the 11th verse, if however you are unable to work in this consciousness of me, then try to act giving up the results of your work and try to be self-situated. In other words, go ahead and do it for yourself. Just give some donation. Renounce some of the fruits of your activity. In other words, I'm not going to take all of your consciousness. I'm going to take all of your work. I'm not asking for all of your money. How about a little bit? He's really giving you an opportunity to get started. You see, get in the process. When you get in the process, he knows where it's going to end up. You're going to get fully attracted to him. It might take a while. Then that depends on you and your attachment to the material energy. Some people we see don't have much. They really don't. I have it's a like, question. Yeah. So I read that a little differently than your interpretation, I think. So I'm wondering when it says, when I read giving up the results of your work, I'm thinking that I thought that just sort of meant don't be attached. In other words, don't be happy or sad with what results from what you do. 
Whereas I think you're saying more, give it up like, give some material things to the temple or something. Is that yeah. what you're saying? But I'm reading it like, like if I go out and I do a project and I expect it to turn out a certain way and it doesn't, and I get frustrated, that's not giving up the results. But if I don't get frustrated, then that's giving up the results. I don't read this as anything about giving charity. Is that how you read it? These both go together. The result is uh, the success of my project. I give that to Krishna, that result. The result belongs to Krishna. If I want to go out and distribute books for Krishna, I give up the results. In other words, if I'm if I go out and I can only distribute two books and everybody else is distributing 50, then I'm not attached to that result. You see what I mean? At the same time, as I earn, I'm not attached. So there is a portion that I can comfortably give to Krishna in some way. If he was here, I'd give it right to him. Well, he's not. I'll give it to his representative. You see what I mean? Or I can put it in direct service somehow. You know, like, um, I don't have time to distribute books, but I'll, I'll buy books and I'll give them to the book distributors and they'll do it. You see? So that's, so we're both saying the same thing. It, it manifests in different ways. Giving up the result means not claiming proprietorship of the end result of, of my activities. You see what I mean? I can't lay, uh, claim proprietorship. Right. You see what I mean? Very difficult, though, from a, somebody who's on the outside looking at, I mean, very <coughs> difficult to look at somebody or, and see if that's occurring or not. So as an example, somebody could say, I'm going to live at the temple. <clears throat> and somebody else is going to say, I'm going to live in a house away from the temple. Living at the temple, let's say, costs a certain amount. But living in a house, got to pay your mortgage and whatever yeah. else. Yeah. So, and, but, you know, you follow what I'm saying. It's kind of, it would, it's difficult to look at, I guess, who's, it's just hard to know. It's tough. Whether you're, Be because... you're giving up the results or not, because there's so many material differences in the world of how people live. Right. I mean, is it possible that Jeff Bezos' wife is giving up the results of her, of her, I mean, she's worth whatever you said, $35 billion, yeah. let's say. But if she's not attached to that money at all, does she have to give it away to be a, a not attached? Or she can just put it in the bank, because I'm just not attached to it. You know, and then when she dies, maybe it goes Well, if, if you're not attached to it, then, um, Having a tremendous amount of money is, is quite an austerity. A lot of people think, no, you're on easy street. But I, I happen to know extremely wealthy people, billionaires. And it's an austerity to have a lot of money to be concerned about. It's like um, one of my god brothers is the grandson, the great grandson of uh, Henry Ford, uh, Albert Ford. His name is Ambarish. He's a disciple of Prabhupada, has been for 47 years, 46 years, you see. When Ford stock goes down a nickel, that's agitating. Because he's got a lot of it. You see what I mean? But he's, he's not attached. Now, this is a guy that, that gave $28 million to our Mayapur project to build this new temple. Aside from buying the Honolulu Temple, the Detroit Temple, and 
through the years. That's just what we know of. And this is another point. Another thing about someone who's not attached is he'll give without the recognition, anonymously. So I do know that with Ambarish Prabhu, some of his donations, part of the of, of the deal is that, look, don't let this one get out, okay? I just want to do it. This is between me and my guru and Krishna, you know? And sometimes people say, but it enlivens the other devotees. Well, yeah, but all right, sometimes I'll do that. But for now, you know, let's just zip it. Very helpful. It was pretty hard to keep the $28 million donation under wraps. That was tough. <laughs> you know, I mean, that lasted probably 20 minutes. Guess what? <laughs> we just got $28 million to do the TOVP project, you know. Let me guess who from. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this is a whole <coughs> philosophy. <coughs> Depending on uh, our feeling that we have towards Krishna. You know. What time do we wrap it up? Usually we do six. Okay. There's plenty of time. <coughs> Oh, I'm going to have plenty of time for, for talking after for questions after this. Yeah, act giving up the results. Don't be attached. Don't be attached to it. What I have personally found in my business days, I was at one time successful in business, and I got a taste of, of giving to these projects. And it turned into, after some time, it, came, it turned into a race between me and Krishna, how much I could give before he replaced it, you know? And, it, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, I was doing projects for the temple. We need to build a deity kitchen. We're gonna make, we wanna build, we want, we, it's, it starts out like, uh, we've got this idea, you know, we wanna build a, a, a kitchen just for the deities. And if we're going to do that, it should be all granite and far out stove and, you know, um, sub-zero uh, refrigerator. You know, we want to deck it out. So it's kind of like, huh, well, I'm having a pretty good year. I say to myself, well, what kind of money are we talking here? Well, you know, it's going to be X number of dollars. Oh, you know, I think I can do that, you know. So, but, you know, we don't really need to let everybody know, you know, so we can do that. We can work that out. So I can transfer the funds only to find out that some long shot deal I was working through, working on, that didn't have a chance that my, I knew my competitors, the big companies were going to eat me alive, but still I had a bid in there. That thing came through and I got more money back like the next month than I sent out. And to have that happen year after year, I could understand what's going on here. You know, Krishna, you're really a smart aleck. You know, you're just, you know, well then, all right, well, here, then here's some more, you know? Yeah. <coughs> 
on that same note, Maharaj, I actually for this God of Purim, I was thinking, what do I do for the Lord? And then I was like, I want to do something special. And I was thinking, and then suddenly like three years back, I gave some <coughs> deposit for an apartment, apartment thing. And then that lady called and said, here is your check for $240. I'm sending. I mean, we sent it a couple of times, but you missed it. Uh. <laughs> what did that say? Oh my gosh, it's the same note like when you watch a David, she gives it more than yeah. for you. And, and the, the numbers of what you give don't mean anything. It could be, you could be giving millions or you could be giving 50 bucks, depending on your, what does this mean to you? If it doesn't mean anything to you, then why should it mean something to Krishna? You see? So if you're giving a bigger chunk and that really means something to you, then it means more to Krishna. Now, I'll give you, for instance, there was this little girl one time <coughs> that came to Srila Prabhupada and um, she had this little uh, sweet ball, Simply Wonderful. Does, anybody, does everybody here know what a Simply Wonderful is? They're, all, they're, they're not even an endangered species anymore. They're extinct, I think. And that's really sad because they're... Simply Wonderful. Oh, God, they're good. You know... Prabhupada named them simply wonderful, you know, because he he could eat them. They were so good. Anyway, we'll talk about what they're made of later. So uh, she brought Prabhupada this simply wonderful. It's a milk sweet, and you either put nuts or raisins, you know, inside and roll them off. And they're incredibly good. And why they're not popular, I have no idea. But anyway, they used to be incredibly popular in ISKCON. So uh, she says, Prabhupada, I have something. I have a surprise for you, this little tiny girl. And uh, Prabhupada said, ah, oh, what do you have for me? And she said, simply wonderful. <laughs> and Prabhupada remembered he had given out simply wonderfuls and the devotees had devoured the whole thing, which was, there were never any left over, no matter how many you made. And so Prabhupada said, oh, thank you so much. And he made such a big deal out of it. And um, she, she wanted him to eat it right now. And he said, yes, yes, so he ate it. And, oh, that was so good and gave her such praises. And so this, this gentleman was there and he had written out a check for $10,000. Now this is in the early 70s, so 10 grand was a lot more money. And he gave Prabhupada a check for $10,000. And Prabhupada looked at it. He says, thank you very much. He handed it to his secretary to be deposited. And then this guy said, well, Swamiji, this girl just gave you a, a little sweet ball and you made so much fuss over it. But I gave you a check for $10,000 and you're just, thank you. I'm just confused. And Prabhupada said, she gave me everything she had. She gave me everything that she holds near and dear. And Prabhupada said, do you know, you can't understand the value that that Simply Wonderful had to that girl. Because he had handed it to her earlier from his own hand. 
Mm-hmm. See? And so this was a treasure. And she's thinking, I may never get anything like this again, but I want you to have this. And Prabhupada said, for you, $10,000 is, he says, how many more checks for $10,000 do you have? Prabhupada says, I'm very thankful, but there's a difference from the heart. Mm-hmm. You see? There's a difference in the heart. So it doesn't matter. The, the amount doesn't matter. It's it's really the heart. <coughs> what you want to give. How, how much do you want to de- demonstrate your love to Krishna? You know. And even if you have a lot and you give a little, that's okay. You know, Krishna. Krishna doesn't have price tags. You know. Uh, 12.12, Krishna goes on. Engage yourself in the cultivation of knowledge. You know, you can't do the rigors of bhakti yoga. Then cultivate knowledge. Better than knowledge, however, is meditation. Better than meditation is renunciation of the fruits of action. So he's coming back again with renunciation of the fruits of action. You see? Then he goes on to say, one who is not envious but is a kind friend to all living entities who does not think himself a proprietor and is free from false ego, who is equal in both happiness and stress, who is tolerant, always satisfied, self-controlled, and engaged in devotional service with determination, his mind and intelligence fixed on me, such a devotee of mine is very dear to me. So what he's saying here is that these are not things that you try to do to become a dear devotee to Krishna. These are your symptoms when you become a dear devotee to Krishna. You're not envious. You see, these are symptoms that you develop, not that you artificially, all right, well, I'm going to be good to everybody, and that'll make me a devotee of Krishna. No, these are symptoms. <clears throat> Not envious of anyone. Kind friend to all living entities. Uh, doesn't think yourself a proprietor, like I own this and I own, you know, I'm in control of that. Uh, free from false ego. Equal in both happiness and distress. Uh, you're tolerant, always satisfied, self-controlled and engaged in devotional service with determination. Your mind intelligence fixed on Krishna. Such a devotee of mine is very dear to me. So, and these are the symptoms that you will uh, that you will display when you get to be that dear devotee. In the 15th verse, he says, he by whom no one is, now listen to this one, he by whom no one is put into difficulty and who is not disturbed by anyone, who is equipoised in happiness and distress, fear and anxiety, and is, uh, is very dear to me. So you don't put anybody in distress. And don't let anybody distress you. You know? But that, that, that means lighten up. You know, if someone calls you a, a stupid jerk, it's your opinion, okay. Don't, you know, don't, I'm not going to feel any distress. You're a stupid old fool. You're, I think you're right. 
That's one, one thing you can do when someone attacks you, is just agree with them. <coughs> if that doesn't diffuse them, then uh, I don't know where they're going to go. You know, I don't know what they want. I'm just saying, yeah, you know, you're probably right. What? Because they're expecting you to argue. I don't think you're. I don't think you're any better devotee of God than anyone else. I think you're the wisest man in the room because you're the only one that's discovered that. <laughs> <laughs> but between me and you and Krishna, I'm really wanting to be. You know, the devotee feels like that. You're right. I'm a, as as far as those that I, I'm on the bottom. You know. So, what else you got? <laughs> you know? <clears throat> uh, Krishna goes on to say, my devotee who is not dependent on the ordinary course of activities, who is pure, expert, without cares, free from all pains, and not striving for some result, is very dear to me. Now, when, I, when he says not striving for some result, He's meaning like some personal game. <coughs> that doesn't mean if I'm a professional and I'm trying to do my job as best as I can, uh, because my job is an offering to Krishna. It doesn't mean that, well, I don't care about anything. I'm just going to sit at home and channel surf. You see what I mean? I do my job the best I can. I'm, I'm as good... I walk my path, my particular path, the best I can. And I'm careful not to ever try to walk the path of another. But my particular path, which is my offering to Krishna, I do to the best of my ability. And I claim none of success. Because Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, I am the ability in man. Whatever success I get isn't from my hard efforts. Uh, no, it's Krishna gives. I am the ability in man. I have a quick question. <coughs> when we are doing like uh, work and we get focused in the work, then we are not thinking of Krishna at that time because we are working for Krishna. It's okay to be focused on the work, not thinking of Krishna during that time. Yeah, we have to focus on the work. Mm -hmm. If you're a doctor, you've got to focus. Mm -hmm. So that still is or an attorney, or you know, there's so many an accountant, mm -hmm. uh, even an automobile automobile mechanic. He's got focus, but that focus he's offering to Krishna. Uh, does that make any sense? Because we realize this ability for me to do what I do to the level that I uh, can do it. That ability is Krishna. It's not given by Krishna. Krishna says he is the ability in man. So that is Krishna. So by me having that ability to do something nicely, that I'm associating directly with Krishna in that way. If I can just see it and understand it. One who neither rejoices nor grieves, nor neither laments nor desires, and who 
renounces both auspicious and inauspicious things. Such a devotee is very dear to me. You're rejoicing and, and grieving. Now we can rejoice, and there are going to be times when we will grieve some. But it's not like peaks and valleys of the material world. It's been most the yogi is equipoised, satisfied. Uh, some things will happen that will give you a bump in your rejoicing. Some things will happen that'll cause you a little grief. But you won't ever go down into the valley or these big peaks. You can, you don't have to. You can experience uh, great rejoicing without going, ah! <laughs> and you can experience tremendous grief without going, ah! you know? Yeah. But it says, neither renounces auspicious or inauspicious things. Does that mean like something comes in, in our life that's <coughs> theoretically, like materially speaking, inauspicious? Like, say, like they say, like an eclipse is an auspicious. Is that what it's referring to? Yeah. We're it's not, not referring to like... We're not concerned with those things. Yeah. Everyone else may go take a bath in the Ganges to the eclipse, but... And we might too, but if we're busy doing our service, we'll go on with it. You know? It's like things so nice and concerning. Yeah. Otherwise, we find ourselves struggling to do auspicious things and to avoid inauspicious things. But by performing loving devotional service to Guru and Krishna, that is the topmost of auspicious. And it pushes all inauspicious things aside. You know, Prabhupada said, if, if, you, if you need to, to do your service, eat grains on ekadashi. Now, there's nothing, hardly anything more auspicious than fasting on Ekadashi. And there's hardly anything more inauspicious than not fasting. But Prabhupada said, to do your service, if you have to, you take grains on Ekadashi. So there, you know, there's where we stand on it. Not that everyone should say, well, you know, I think I need some grains because, uh, you know, it's Ekadashi, but... Guru said I can eat. <laughs> no, still. But if you have to, to do your service, you know. I mean, that's what that's a direct quote from Prabhupada. <coughs> uh, now listen, here's another one. Verses 18 and 19. One who is equal to friends and enemies, who is equipoised at honor and dishonor, heat and cold, happiness and distress fame and infamy, who is always free from contaminating association, always silent and satisfied with anything, who doesn't care for any residence, who is fixed in knowledge and who is engaged in devotional service, such a person is very dear to me. So what does he mean? It means you're equal to your friends and enemies. You treat everyone with great respect. Uh, honor and, and dishonor. Some, one person may honor you, thank you very much. One person may consider some dishonor, uh, please forgive me. You see what I mean? You just, you stay equipoised, uh, stay satisfied. Heat and cold, happiness and distress, fame and infamy, always free from contaminating association. Wow, that's a difficult one. You know? 
That's a tough one. Except for those who preach. You see? So you may be associating with contaminating association, but you are preaching. So you're helping that person's consciousness. See what I mean? It's not like you're going uh, to a sports bar with them to have a few drinks and let them affect you. You are affecting them. Even if it's subtle for a little bit, you know? Some people you can preach to more and more directly than others, you know? As long as it's a little subtle and you know what you're doing. Yeah. I think that happened to me just recently. I went out, went out to <coughs> We went to a place, and of course, they were ordering meat, steaks, and things like that. We're vegetarian, you know. And uh, so I ordered a small salad or something like that. I guess it's fine. So anyway, this is well. So tell us, why don't you eat meat again? You know. And so it gave me an opportunity right there to, to talk about why I don't eat meat. Although I'm here in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I came for part of the meal that is a restaurant that is using meat. But yes, it gave me an opportunity to also preach. So I guess that's that, that was kind of that, that reminded me of that example that was recently had. In 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 a in a circumstance that you would think, how can you possibly preach in a circumstance like that? Yeah. But Krishna gave you the opportunity. Why don't you eat meat? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean you really want to know? Whew. So, but you have to be tactful like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, can't say because because I'm not a low class person like you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, and people are going to go, whoa. Yeah. Oh. Okay, let's change the subject. <laughs> of course, I did get through with them. And I did kind of add this thing. I said, I, I, I told this slaughterhouse story that I had. Kind of look at their plate. <laughs> so I'm looking at their plate like, oh. Um. I says, no, I mean, you know, I'm, just, I'm not judging. I'm just saying that's that's what happened to me. Like, yeah. I kind of left it like that. And they say, yeah, he's not judging. <laughs> but they were like looking. You're not judging. Place. I'm judging. <laughs> like one lady was like, you know, kind of turned off by her plate. <laughs> a few people excuse themselves from the <laughs> excuse me I'll be right back where's the restroom alright let's close it up with this last one and then I've got something I want to read to you uh, 2020 uh, 1220 those who follow this imperishable path of devotional service and who completely engage themselves with faith making me the supreme goal are very, very dear to me. So he comes back, you know, making me the supreme goal. So uh, it, it's really good for us if we can spend time from time to time uh, thinking about that. I mean, it's not being uh, fruitive in your thoughts, but what's it going to be like, you know? I mean, we're not going to be able to stay in these bodies forever. We're going to have to give them up. And at some point, we're going to find ourselves. uh, We're on the path. We're very close. We're going to find ourselves associating, rubbing elbows with this Krishna. What's it going to be like? You know, we, we need to know that now because 
this ISKCON is like training wheels for the spiritual world. You can live today, now, in such a way that it won't be strange to you. You see what I mean? It should be that the devotee lives his life in such a way before he leaves his body and goes back to Godhead that he doesn't really see much difference. You see? Well, yesterday I was in that human body and I was with, my, my mind was fixed on Krishna. And now here I am in Goloka Vrindavan and my mind is fixed on Krishna and, and Krishna's here. Balaram is here, you know, and what's going to be going on? You know, so not that we get fruitive, but I mean, there is a great plan that Krishna has for you. If we decide not to take that left turn and go towards the impersonal Brahman, if you want to, you can do that, but you don't get a lot of stuff. If you take that right turn and you go to Kaboka Vrindavan, then you get that personal aspect of Krishna. Person means he's got uh, so much to share with you. You see, he's not greedy. It's not like I'm the richest and the most famous and you're not. You know, I mean, there are no homeless, hungry people in Goloka Vrindavan. You see, everything is really, really sweet. So we should have some idea of what, what will it be like. And uh, the previous Acharyas have given us insights and we need to spend more time going through the songs of the previous Acharyas. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's not. In other words, don't 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 think that uh, I need to spend so much of my life putting together uh, uh, the house of my dreams. Your house should be adequate. It should be nice. It should be comfortable. It should be attractive enough for you to be for you for it to appeal to your senses. The eyes should, should at least look nice, you know. So that's part of you being comfortable there, because you're going to use this as an offering to Krishna. You see, but we what do we do immediately? We get a house. We set up an altar, some little altar. Some people have big altars. You know, in their houses. Some people have small ones, but in other words, the devotee makes his house, his, his residence, a, a temple of varying degrees. Like I said, I've known devotees that have had like two bedroom or, you know, like a one bedroom house, and their whole front room is this gigantic temple. I mean, you, you know, you've got to walk around the deities to go to the kitchen <laughs> from the bedroom. So that's their. That's their rasa with Krishna. Gosh, they're so into it. They, they want to live in the temple and their bedroom is just like a little place, you know. And then uh, I've known some people who became extremely successful and they bought huge houses. And <laughs> these are Indian body devotees, you know. And when they had a two bedroom depart uh, apartment with their kids, uh, the living room was almost all temple, you know, 
but it wasn't a very big living room. As the years go by and they become wealthier and wealthier, they buy this gigantic house, you know, like something out of Beverly Hills. So uh, now they have a much bigger living room, which means they have a much bigger altar. You know? <laughs> so just, they grew into their house with their, so you can see what's important to them, you know? I mean, they could put in, put the, the altar somewhere else. They have like six bedrooms, so they, and a whole full upstairs. They could have put the deities upstairs, but no, they want them in this great big room that's like three stories high, you know. You know, I mean, so, and they're not the slightest bit attached to that place except to the degree that they can use it in their service to Krishna, you know. So, uh, does that answer your question? Okay. The previous acharyas give us insight into what's it going to be like, because they can see. They can see. They they can have that experience, and they share it with us. Mm -hmm. um, and I sent this out, and I'm sure most of you saw this, but let's go through it again. Uh, what gives Krishna pleasure at mealtime? Now, mealtime is something that's very intimate. It's something you share with friends, you know? So if we don't take that left turn and go to the impersonal Brahman, then we, we took the right turn. So now we're dealing with Krishna. Krishna likes to eat. He likes to smell incense and flowers. He likes for you to offer him something beautiful. So he sees and he smells on a transcendental level, you see. Uh, it would make no sense for us to offer him something if he can't experience it. You can offer Krishna this incredible, incredibly scented flower, but he has no sense of smell. Well, you know, or to offer him some very sumptuous food but he can't taste, you see? So the difficulty for us is to separate the impersonal from the personal aspect of God. Even though we, we're heading that way, it's hard for us to give up this impersonal part. And we don't fully understand that I'm dealing with the Supreme who has supreme senses, you see? He enjoys on a, on a transcendental level. It's based on my love. <coughs> so, mealtime with Krishna. Uh, this is from the Boga Arti, from the Gita Wali by Thakur Bhaktivinoda. Bhaktivinoda starts out by saying, just worship Sri Gorhari, Lord Chaitanya, who is always affectionate towards his devotees. He is the same supreme Godhead, Krishna, who sported in the cowherd, uh, cowherd pastimes of Braj and stole the hearts of Nanda and Yashoda. He took pleasure in stealing the hearts of his father and mother. Although he's God and he has no soul, he has, he has you know, but yet he appeared as their son and took great pleasure from that experience, that exchange, living in their house. So Mother Yashoda, she calls uh, to Krishna, my dear Damodar, Krishna, it is very late. Please come right now. Sit down 
the, in the dining hall and take your lunch. On the direction of Nanda Maharaj, his father, Krishna, the holder of Govardhan Hill, he holds Govardhan Hill, but his father says, listen to your mother and come and eat. You know? And this is every day for eternity. Why? Because it's delightful. The dishes may change, but this is Krishna's ras with, uh, with you, with all of us. We're going to describe something here, and I want you to think as you go through, you're going to be in this room someday. You're going to be here doing this with Krishna and Balaram. Uh, sit down and take your lunch. The holder of Govardhan sits down, and then all the cowherd boys, his friends, come along with Krishna's elder brother, Sri Baladev, they sit down and rose to take their lunch. There um, they are served a, a feast of shukta, which is the green leafy vegetables. Different, there are many different green leafy vegetables in India. And they can include turnip greens, mustard greens. You see, some people include spinach, but spinach is something considered a little different. So, but it's uh, green leafy vegetables that have been steamed or curried some way, you know. Uh, if you've never had shuk, that's really, really good for your digestion. Uh, then nice fried things and a salad made of the green leaves of the jute plant. They are also served pumpkin, baskets of fruit, small square cakes made of lentils, and cooked down milk. Then thick yogurt, squash cooked in milk. I don't know if you've ever had squash cooked in milk, but it is, once you taste it, you will never forget it. You know, I've had some of these things. Now keep in mind, this is not what we're talking about as quote unquote Indian food. You can't get this at an Indian restaurant. It's like good home cooked Indian food. You don't get that at a restaurant. You know, there's a certain thing you get at an Indian restaurant. You don't get it at home. Mm. You know, it's not, you know, sometimes the Indian restaurants are overspiced and mode of passion, oily. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about something that does nothing but give pleasure and health. You know, otherwise, why would Krishna want it? You can't offer anything. Uh, insufficient to Krishna. He, Radharani wouldn't let anybody. So Radharani cooked this for Krishna. So this is perfection. Um, small square cakes made of lentils and cooked down milk. Then thick yogurt, squash cooked in milk and vegetable preparations made from the flower of the banana tree. That is something to behold. Have you ever had that? Oh, my Lord. In West Bengal, they make, they take the flower of the banana plant, of the banana tree. There's only one on each one. And they make them into pakoras or, or chop them up and cook them in sabji. Oh, God. <laughs> what does it taste like? I don't know. I can't, there's nothing I can. It's got a vegetable flavor, but it's. 
Oh, that's really good. Uh, then they receive, oh, let's see, what was I? Oh, then they receive fried squares of mung dal patties and urad dal patties, chapatis, and rice with ghee. Next, sweets made with milk, sugar, and sesame. Rice flour cakes, thick cooked down milk, uh, cakes floating in milk, <laughs> and sweet rice. <laughs> you know, Krishna likes to die. You know, he's this is we're talking a connoisseur. You know? um, it's, um, the cooked down milk uh, is very common. We offer that to uh, the deities every morning. Radha Krishna, wherever there's Radha Krishna deities, anywhere in the world, they get cooked down, sweetened condensed milk. That's Krishna has to have it. <coughs> With cakes floating in milk. Oh, I've had that, you know. Uh, Malpoi, have you ever had Malpoi? Oh my God. It's one of those things that's so good, you'll sit there saying, what is this? And sometimes they put in strawberries, you know? Oh my God. There's also sweet rice uh, that tastes just like nectar due to its being mixed with camphor. And that's another flavor I can't describe, but it's knockout. There are bananas and cheese, which is nectarian and delicious. They also serve 12 kinds of sour preparations made with tamarinds, limes, lemons, oranges, and pomegranates. Cleanse the palate and balance out the sweets, the salty, and the sour. Ayurveda. All the different things should be appealed to, and the body secretes certain chemicals in the digestive process if you expose it to the different sweet, sour, pungent, you know, a little hot, you know, pungent, ginger, a little bit of ginger. Uh, there are no chilies in here because chilies are not indigenous to this part of the world. The chilies come from Africa. They came later on. But the pungent would come from like um, ginger. So these, this whole thing dances together. And then as you go through the meal, you'll eat some of these pomegranates or some pomegranate, a little bit of pomegranate juice to inject a little bit of palate uh, cleanser and to make the digestion work. So the whole thing is a science. It's a complete science if you eat it properly. Um, there are puris made with white flour and sugar. I can't eat white flour and sugar because I'm diabetic, but I'll take a little chunk. I remember when I could, and puris made with white flour and sugar are divine. Prabhupada loves them. Totally loves them. Oh, get, get this. Puri's filled with cream. <laughs> I showed me here. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Krishna's kind of lusty, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Ladus and dal patties boiled in, in sugared rice. Krishna eagerly eats all of the food. In great ecstasy and joy, Krishna eats the rice, curried vegetables, sweets, and pastries cooked by Srimati Radharani. Krishna's funny Brahmin friend, Manu Mangala, who is very fond of ladus, gets them by hook or by crook. 
Eating the ladus, he shouts, Haribo! Haribo! And makes a funny sound by slapping his sides under his armpits. <laughs> so there's one in every crowd. Krishna's got these guys, you know, he's got oddball friends. <laughs> by the way, you know, when the, the, the cowherd boys they steal from each other's plate, they also steal from Krishna's plate. They don't think, oh, I'll get plenty. No, it's like, Krishna, who is that? <laughs> and then they wrestle, you know. Beholding Radharani and the gopis uh, and her gopi friends out of the uh, corners of his eyes, Krishna eats the, uh, in the house of Mother Yashoda with great satisfaction. After you see what he's enjoying, Radharani cooked this with love. It's a loving offering. Uh, his mother. In cahoots with Radharani, it's seen that her son is fed properly and that he sat down. You and your friends get in here and eat. So you can see the scene, you know. Krishna's enjoying this very much. After lunch, Krishna drinks some rose-scented water. Then all the boys standing in lines wash their mouths. After all the cowherd boys wash their hands and mouths in great bliss, they take rest with Lord Balaram. So go take a nap after this meal, you know. <laughs> the two cowherd boys, uh, Jambalu and Vasala, then bring Krishna pan made with betel nut, fancy spices, and uh, katechu. After eating the pan, see Krishna Chandra then happily goes to sleep. While Krishna is hap happily takes his rest on an excellent bedstead, his servant, uh, Vishalaksha cools him with a fan of peacock feathers. At Mother Yashoda's request, the gopi Danishta brings remnants of food left on Krishna's plate to Srimati Radharani, who eats them with great delight. Lalita Devi and the other gopis then receive the remnants, and within their hearts they sing the glories of Radharani and Krishna with great joy. Takur Bhakti Vinod, whose one and only joy are the pastimes of Lord Sri Hari, sings this Bog Arti song. It's a song? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'll get you, I'll show you the, the whole song. It's just gorgeous. So these are the thoughts of the previous Acharyas, the pure devotees. They see this and they know this is where that I'll, I'll be. I'll be in that room someday. So because of their consciousness, they're kind of in the room already with Krishna and all this that's going on. What's really happening here? It's a tremendous um, exchange of love. Mm -hmm. On the absolute platform, God does not need nourishment. You see, he's the complete whole within himself. He doesn't have to eat your cakes floating in cream. He doesn't need this. But he wants you to show him the love to make that offering. You know. And and have that let's let's sit down and dine. This is what you do with people you love. You see, we see this uh, in, in our country 
whole in the world. Um, family gets together Thanksgiving and Christmas. Let's get together and show our love for one another and fight and get angry and insult each other. No, <laughs> although that happens some. But you see what I mean? This is, with, with Krishna, this is an unending eternal thing. It's on such a scale that it's, uh, uh, it's going on all the time, opulent, ever increasing, you see. So what does God do? He shares love and every opportunity that he can. So that's where this devotional service is going is taking us. That's what's there. We can expect that. Because we didn't go towards the Brahmjoti, you see. The people who go there, they're not going to get this, nor are they looking for it. And that's okay. Well, Krishna says ultimately someday you'll end up sitting there in Mother Yashoda's dining hall with me. They're going to be doing this. You see. That's the ultimate destiny of the soul. Just depends on how long it's going to take us to get there. That depends all totally on us. <coughs> okay, I'm like nine minutes over. So is that okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any questions or comments or reflections? Yeah. It's wonderful. This reflection. I was thinking how. How expensive it is people spend their whole life paying for it. That's mortgage. It's not a good real estate. So it's like what Krishna's saying in the twelfth. I should have to take that to heart. It's like set aside this idea that you can work so hard. <coughs> squirrels can just go into a tree and have for free. Yeah. Yeah, and it used to be back in the fifties and sixties. If a guy could get ahead, after the depression, you could get ahead a little bit and have a decent job. That goal was to get your get a house and get it paid for. Am I right? Get that house paid for. Uh, nowadays, people don't recommend getting their house paid for. You should keep that, pay the interest, write it off your taxes, and put all the money that you could use to pay off your house to work for you, which means gambling in, this, in the stock market. Could go up, could go down, we hear about that, you know? However, the super rich people, their super rich financial planners tell them the first thing we're gonna do is get your house paid for, especially in some states like Texas, Texas, for instance. If you own a, if your house is paid for in Texas, it's like your castle, and it's next to impossible for anybody to take it away from you. Homestead. Yeah, it's a homestead state, I yeah. think. Because I used to know some of those guys. And so, uh, but I'm talking about people who had high step and, but the average guy, they say, no, no, stay in debt and put your money to work for you, which I don't know how many people do that. You know, how many people have money working for them? Some people do, I guess, you know, so, but it's kind of an unnatural thing. It's it, natural would be 
that you have a piece of land that's handed down through the family and everyone eats. It's like my son and I were talking uh, about, um, I don't know what got us on this subject of, of eating. People don't eat properly now. Uh, the rule, my rule of thumb is you should eat out of the field and out of the orchard, you know, out of the garden, not ever out of a box. If it's, a, if, if it's in a box, I mean, I don't eat anything out of a box. I'm not a food fanatic, but I never, I never eat anything. Not that I try. I don't try at all to avoid processed food. <clears throat> I eat out of the produce department. If it ain't there, I may never see it. I don't even know the store has it. I'm always shocked when I hear about these meals in a box and stuff like that, or snacks. If I want snacks and nuts, berries, <laughs> you can roast nuts and throw a little salt, you know, uh, and you got a great snack. So, so eat out of the field, out of the orchard. Stay, stay, stay away from boxes and drive-throughs. Don't eat. Don't go to a drive-through and eat. Or if you can avoid eating at a, a place that, um, you know, some restaurant or whatever, if you can avoid it, fine. If you're traveling once in a while, you may have to. That's not going to kill you, but. You do it all the time. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what. I'm suspicious about preservatives. You know, food isn't meant to last that long. You know, it's just not. I mean, I've grown food. I know what food does. <laughs> it doesn't. So, um, so what else? Send me that song when you're finished, please. I will. I'd like to hear it. Maybe some it and sing it for that. We'll sing it. Yeah. I think I, I, I have audio of it. What's the name of the song? The Boga Arti. Boga Arti? Okay. Yeah. We'll look it up right in the shower. We used to, wherever there's a temple uh, with Radhakrishna deities, that would be song, sung at the noon Arti. The Boga Arti. You know? And uh, it's very beautiful. It's very, very sweet. Thank you, Guru. All right. Thank you, you all so much. I have to get ready for time. Yeah, yeah. Hare Krishna. All glory to God. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Thank you.